and welcome to another episode of Streaming Science, a creative, student-run podcast series from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We bring the science directly to you. The goal of Streaming Science is to increase science literacy through interactive discussion with scientists about topics that affect your everyday life. I'm your host, Lauren Stolman, a senior in Agricultural and Environmental Sciences Communication from Louisville, Nebraska. This episode of Streaming Science is focused on women in STEM. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. As a UNL student, I was drawn to this topic because as a woman in science communication, it is always great to meet with female scientists to learn about what they do and to see the passion in their eyes when they talk about what they love, researching science. Joining me today is Dr. Jamie Lynn Paletto. Dr. Paletto, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, I am an assistant professor of fish physiology, Mm -hmm. and I am in the School of Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Good place to be. Very good. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great place to be. I really enjoy it. Good. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I'm actually originally from a really small town in upstate New York, Mm -hmm. um, and I went to college in upstate New York. I got my bachelor's degree in neuroscience, actually, which is the study of the brain. I thought I might want it to be a doctor. Um, But I also have always had this love of fish and the ocean and the rivers and lakes. And so I ended up deciding to go to graduate school uh, for animal behavior. And so I went to um, graduate school in California and I got my PhD in animal behavior. And now I am here. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Why did you choose Nebraska? Partially because I loved the school so much. I think the School of Natural Resources is a great place to work. It's very collegiate. Everyone's super friendly and nice, and they want to help you. And actually, um, Nebraska is a lot more like upstate New York than I ever imagined. Oh, really? So people here are really friendly, and I like the climate. It's so it's it's been a it's been a good choice for me. Good. I am glad you like it here. Um, so, what's your everyday schedule like here? So, my everyday schedule is different every day, and I think that one of the reasons why I really enjoy the profession that I do is that it never gets boring. So, I wake up every day and I have to check my schedule because um, I'm not sure what I'm necessarily doing. Not that I'm not prepared, I'm always prepared, but um, some days I might be teaching, um, some days I might be out in the field, like in a lake or a stream, helping to collect fish. Um, I do a lot of work in a, in a laboratory setting also, so I might be conducting an experiment in the lab. I could be writing up data, writing papers, um, helping students. It's, it's literally different every single day. Um, there are days when I have a lot of meetings, and that's never the most <laughs> fun, I guess. Um, but I think the diversity of the different things that you get to do every single week is one of the things that makes this career so exciting and so dynamic. Oh, yeah. Very refreshing to come to work and new things happen every day. Yeah, it's not the same thing day in and day out. Yeah. Um, So why did you choose fish? I mess up on this every time. Fish physiology. That is exactly how you say it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a couple of reasons. One is I have always really been interested in behavior. So the reason why I got my bachelor's in neuroscience, the brain, is because I really wanted to know about behavior. And um, one of the things that really controls behavior is like your underlying physiology. And so I know that physiology is a really scary term for a lot of people, but it's really not. It's things um, like how temperature might affect growth rates or 
how uh, disease might affect the amount of energy that an animal has to be able to move. Um, I study a lot of species that are really migratory, and so they move really long distances, like thousands and thousands of miles. And that takes a lot of really interesting musculature physiology. Um, and so I, I think I chose it because I was just always so interested in what's driving the behavior of animals. And it offers an endless number of questions that you can ask, this, this field does. Um, not to mention, especially for fish, we don't know a lot about certain species physiology or even just their behavior. And so it offers a great opportunity to discover something new. What challenges do you think that you have faced in this field? This field is a challenging field. Um, it challenges you in many different ways because you have to have a pretty broad skill set. So, um, you know, if you're teaching a class, for example, you have to feel comfortable public speaking, but we also write scientific papers. But sometimes we're also in the field catching fish, and sometimes we're in the lab doing experiments. We're also doing data, statistics. And so there, are, there is no way that one individual person is going to be good at all of those things. So you're definitely going to come up against uh, an area that you don't excel at. And sometimes it's challenging, but it's part of your job. And so you just have to learn or ask other people for help um, and just sort of accept the fact that that's not your best quality or maybe that's not your best um, area of expertise, and that's fine. Um, I think it's challenging in that it's, it's, a, it's almost like a lifestyle instead of a career. Um, it takes a long time to become a scientist. It takes a lot of education and a lot of experience, and so it's a, it's a long journey. And sometimes that can be challenging because, you know, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel necessarily all the time. Um, and then not only that, but it, it's a competitive field and it sometimes makes you doubt yourself a little bit. You're like, oh, I, you know, why should I even apply for that? There are so many people applying for it. I would never get it. So you have to keep kind of like telling yourself that you got to just move forward and you're going to get rejected at times and it's going to be fine. You know, everyone gets rejected in the field. But I think those are probably the biggest challenges, the, the duration, the fact that there is a wide variety of skills you need, and then just the fact that there are a lot of people doing this, and so you're going to get told no <laughs> sometimes, and you have to just be okay with that. I like your mindset. It's like, it's all right. It's all yeah. going to work itself it's all out. It's going to work itself out. <laughs> you're clearly a very driven woman. And Thank you're you. very, I really like, you're very just, you know what you want to do, and you're good with that, and... You obviously said you have some challenges. So what exactly motivates you to get up every morning and do the amazing things that you do? Well, actually, it, de it depends. <laughs> it sort of depends on what I'm doing um, maybe at that time. One of the things, honestly, is, is literally at my heart, I'm a fish nerd. So I love the species that I study. I think they are the coolest things in the world. Um, and so I want to be able to answer questions about them and my, um, what I actually really consider myself is a, what's called a conservation physiologist. And it's so, these type of scientists use physiology to help better manage and better conserve the species that they're studying. So I always work a lot with managers and people, fish conservationists, people trying to save populations of fishes um, to make sure that they survive. And so that's honestly part of it. And I know that sounds really corny, like, I'm going to save the fish. But 
there, there's a there's an aspect of truth to that. I want to be able to have my work impact the wildlife that I'm studying in, in a meaningful way. Um, and then other times, oh God, if my students listen to this, they're going to make fun of me <laughs> so much. There are some days where I'm teaching a really cool lecture and I'm so excited to go tell my students something really interesting about science mm-hmm. or about fish. I, I'm teaching a fish biology class right now, actually. And so there are literally certain days where I'm like, oh, I really want to sleep in. I'm like, oh, but you're talking about this really interesting topic today. Like, it's going to be so much fun. The students are going to love it. <laughs> but to hear that that's what motivates you is great and to teach the students about it because I know they probably love hearing all about it. <laughs> Why do you think is it, it is important to have women in STEM and how does it make you feel to be a woman involved in science? I think it's incredibly important for women uh, to be in STEM fields for a number of reasons. One is that I think that we bring um, a different perspective to the field. There are many scientists in the field that have been here and have been scientists for decades. And they have sort of been, I don't want to say stuck in their way of thinking, but they have a way of thinking that has worked for them for a number of years. And unfortunately, because of the way that science has been throughout history, those sorts of scientists tend to be men. And so that's sort of how the basis of science right now is set up. And when women start to enter the STEM field, I think that we bring new ideas, a different perspective, um, maybe a different way of thinking about something that allows us to move the entire scientific field forward. Because if it stagnates, if we're just going with the same status quo all the time, we're not going to be pushing science forward or our understanding forward. So we need diversity to make sure that we're advancing our scientific understanding. Um, At the same time, I think it's really important right now in particular for women to be in STEM fields because we can. (laughs) I mean, we are more than capable of, I don't want to say competing because that's not the right word, but interacting with our male colleagues at the same exact level as any other man would. Um, And I think that young women need to see that and recognize that fields that women are traditionally underrepresented in are not inaccessible to them, that it's absolutely something that they have the capability to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Different perspective and just as good (laughs) at what we do, for sure. Um, So going with that, you talked about young women. Why do you think it's important for youth to understand about STEM and what it is and what it does, and maybe specifically why they should care about fish, fish, fish physiology. <laughs> <laughs> I actually get asked that quite a lot. Oh, yeah. And there are, t- there are two ways almost that I want to answer this. One is that I don't think that there has been a time where understanding our environment has been more critical from a number of different perspectives. Um, the population is growing. Right? We need to be able to feed the population in terms of agriculture, but it needs to be sustainable. So we need to be able to bring together the needs of human populations with the needs of wildlife populations. Um, we can't sacrifice one for the other. And so that might sound weird coming from sort of someone who considers herself a conservationist, but I don't think that we should be wiping out you know, cornfields for um, <clears throat> conservation land necessarily, not whole cornfields, right? That's not practical and it's not, it's not a good solution. So I think that young students need to be aware of the challenges that we're facing moving forward and trying to conserve 
wildlife and fish, um, but also be able to provide for the population that we have. And there are definitely ways that we can do that. And, and one of the reasons why people should care about fish physiology um, is because they live in water. And right now water is a huge issue. Um, we use water for everything. We need it for agriculture, for municipal purposes, for our urban purposes. Um, and at the same time, a lot of agriculture can affect habitat quality, can affect water quality. Um, but by using fish physiology and understanding how basically fish work, we can come up with really creative ways to balance the two. And actually that's something that I really focused on um, during my career when I was in California, which is another really big agriculture state. Um, I worked a lot trying to balance um, agricultural water needs with water needs of sturgeon in particular. And the younger that students can have that appreciation and start to think creatively about how we can continue to progress both in our, in our conserving of wildlife and our conserving of um, production, food production, I think the better they're gonna be at it. The other reason obviously is just that it's amazing. Like look outside, right? The animals are just so cool. They deserve to be here, definitely. And I think, well, I think every student should care about fish physio physiology, <laughs> but I'm sure that that's not gonna happen. Um, but I just want students to get outside and interact with the wildlife that's around them because it's, if you really start to think about it, it's completely incredible. It will blow your mind. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, when I was a little kid, I was like running, I, too much to the dismay of my mother, I was running around, you know, bringing frogs home and <laughs> snakes home. And um, I just was so fascinated by these animals that work so differently from ourselves. And I think the younger you have that appreciation, the more likely you are to be willing to conserve it later on in life. Do you participate in any Women in STEM events? You obviously are very passionate about it, so. Yeah, so I'm part of the Women in Science group um, here on campus. Um, and also sometimes participate in the Women's Coalition um, here on campus at UNL. And sometimes the events are a little bit more formal, but a lot of times the ones that I like the most actually are the Women in Science um, lunches that we tend to try to have at least once a month um, on a Friday. And we get together for lunch and we either discuss um, a, new, a new development about women in STEM or maybe a particular book or piece that was really, or TED Talk that was really um, moving or informative about women in STEM. And we just eat lunch and we talk about it and we talk about issues that we're having as women in the STEM fields. And I think that actually those informal kind of lunches have been the most fruitful in not only um, building sort of a community of women in the STEM fields, but also in coming up with maybe innovative ideas to increase diversity um, at UNO. That's awesome. Sometimes mm -hmm. the informal ways are mm -hmm. the best ways because yes, you get people exactly. out of their comfort zone and they're more willing to talk about mm -hmm. things. That's great, though. Um, so can you tell me about one of your latest research projects, um, what you hope to find out, what your hypothesis is, and then what you think you might do with findings data that you obtain? Sure. So one of the um, one of the species that are really um, of major concern in Nebraska are the pallid sturgeon. Um, and I did a lot of work in sturgeon in California, so immediately I was drawn to the pallid sturgeon here in Nebraska. Um, their populations seem to be struggling a bit, maybe on the decline. And along with that, uh, what's known as their condition factor has been seeming to decline over the past few years. 
I what I would what I'm going to be working on um, is basically looking at how different variables in the environment um, affect their condition, which is a, a very similar to how they grow. So I'll be looking at things like temperature. So water temperature really dramatically affects how fast and how quickly and how well fish grow. So if it's really cold, for example, they might not grow uh, very quickly. But if it's really warm, they might grow really quickly, but they might grow too quickly. So there tends to be a sweet spot sort of right in the middle um, as to where growth is about the right rate. Um, at the same time, the amount of food that's available in the environment is obviously very important to how fish grow. Um, so I'll be looking at how temperature and food availability affect um, the condition of pallid sturgeon. And we're actually going to do that in the lab so that we can control and test different temperatures and different uh, food availability rates and see how they interact or not interact. Um, so what we're hoping to achieve is sort of to start to understand why pallid sturgeon are starting to decline in condition. Are temperatures potentially not right for them? That's a major hypothesis. Is the temperature not the water temperature wrong basically for growth? Um, or is it maybe there's not enough food available for them in the environment? And we're going to also look at the interaction between those two. Um, but by doing it in the lab, we can actually test different rates and we can really start to understand what's known as the mechanism of why these fish are declining in condition. That's cool. And so hopefully we can get an answer and start to then potentially maybe work on some management options from the results that we get in the lab. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And I just have a couple of follow-up questions. When you say so, decline, do you mean the population is declining or? Well, the population is declining and sort of, I guess you can think of it as their health okay. is declining. Um, the way that we measure condition factor is we look at the length of the fish versus the, the mass or the weight of the fish. And it seems like in the past few years, while the fish are fish of the same size are getting skinnier and skinnier. So they're losing mass, they're losing weight. Um, and so that's, that's not usually very, a very good sign, right? If, if you catch a fish that's very long but very skinny, you know it's either not eating well or it's not growing well. Something, something is going wrong with it. So we're going to try to test different hypotheses to see if we can answer, you know, why are these fish starting to look the way that they're looking. Got it. And then another question, you mm -hmm. said that if they grow too quickly, mm -hmm. so what do you mean by that? They just kind of eat fast or something? <laughs> no, so, so fish are um, what are known as ectotherms. Okay. So they don't control their body temperature. So whatever temperature the water is, that's what temperature their body is. And what's known, their metabolism is dependent upon temperature. So if the temperature is really, really, really low, your metabolism is gonna be really low. It's sort of like when a bear hibernates, their body temperature falls really low and they, their metabolism almost stops. Mm -hmm. The opposite is also true. So when water temperatures get really warm, your metabolism gets really fast. Well, in fish, not ours. Well, I guess ours can too, but in <laughs> fish. The problem then becomes that the body basically can't keep up with the food intake. So they're growing and their, meta their metabolism is so high and so fast that they can't actually find enough food to keep up with their metabolism. So they end up losing weight. So they're growing, kind of, but they're basically getting skinnier. Mm. I highly doubt that that's the case with <laughs> these fish, but um, yeah. So if it's too fast, there are some other reasons, but they're a little complicated. Or if, it, if it's too fast or if it's too slow, growth 
basically is not appropriate. So somewhere right in the middle is usually where they should be. Where you want them to be. Mm -hmm. Got it. I wish my metabolism was too fast <laughs> for me to catch up with. Exactly. <laughs> um, so what were you like as a middle school student? I think I was probably a pain in the butt to my <laughs> teachers because I was always asking questions. I mean, I never stopped asking questions to the point where even I think my, like my parents would be like, Jamie Lynn, I don't know. Oh, my God, go somewhere else. Like, read a book or something. <laughs> You're driving me nuts. Um, I also played a lot of sports, so I was pretty active. I think maybe I was just, like, too high energy of a kid, <laughs> a kid or something. Uh, I played a lot of sports, but I was really nerdy, and I asked a lot of questions, and I really just uh, wanted to know everything there was to know about science. Um, so I guess I was pretty nerdy in that regard. <laughs> you were yeah. very inquisitive. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We can, we can do that. I, I'm proud of my nerdy status. Yeah, it's, as you it's, should. It's fine with me. It's got you a lot of really good places. <laughs> yes, it's fine with me. Um, what is your favorite kind of fish? My favorite, actually, even, I'll bring it all the way down to species. Species, yes. Is the green sturgeon. I spent seven years of my life, so five years and about a year and a half of my postdoc, studying um, green sturgeon, and I love them. <laughs> I think that they're beautiful, and not everyone's going to agree with me, um, but I think they are absolutely beautiful. People call them dinosaur fish sometimes. <laughs> they're, they do look a little odd, I will admit, but um, they're just so fascinating. They're so interesting, and actually they have a, a personality to them. A lot of people don't think that fish maybe have personalities necessarily. Different species act very differently around people. Um, partially related to their physiology, um, partially related to the way they interact with other individuals in their own species. And sturgeon are fairly social fish, um, and they don't really mind being touched or handled. So there have been definitely times where, you know, I've been working in a tank with sturgeon. They'll just, like, come up to you and rub up against oh. you. It's, it's, very, it's very fun to interact with them. Oh, that does yeah. sound fun. <laughs> like they're your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yeah. Almost like that. That's cool, though. Mm -hmm. um, so my last question for you. Mm -hmm. If you could give one piece of advice or give one last closing thought to the middle school students that are listening, what would it be? You are absolutely going to make mistakes. You are going to screw something up probably more than once. <laughs> and it can be something small or it might be something big. And all that I can say is, you know, learn from it and keep moving forward. I cannot tell you the number of mistakes that I have made in my life, both big and small. Um, and so don't feel like in order to achieve something great that you have to be perfect all along the way and that you have to do every little tiny thing well. And that's how you rise to success. That is not true by any means. So you're going to make mistakes, and it's going to be okay. Just learn for it, le learn from it, and keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Perfection <laughs> is not attainable. No, it's just not it is gonna not. Happen. No, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen, and it's just it's okay. And it's all right. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> Do you have any other closing thoughts you want to say? Um, you know, make sure that you go out and hug a fish today. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I would like to thank our guest, Dr. Paletto, for joining us, and I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. To listen to more Streaming Science podcasts, go to soundcloud.com slash streaming hyphen science. I'm your host, Lauren Stolman. <laughs>